angry Maxine, the kerosene Maxine, has been exaggerated? Well, uh, I don't know about those labels. I do know this, uh, that oftentimes the right-wing conservatives will label you, they will call your names. I think you have to uh, look at where it comes from. If it comes from people who are diametrically opposed uh, to me and my philosophy and what I care about and what I've worked on, uh, then it is not credible. And so I pay no attention to that. Hey, I'm John Harwood, your host for CNBC's Speakeasy podcast. In this episode, a conversation with Maxine Waters, the longtime House Democratic firebrand who now leads oversight of the biggest players on Wall Street. In her home base at the Rayburn House office building, I talked with the new chair of the Financial Services Committee about her plans for investigating President Trump, defining a democratic economic message for 2020, and changing how banks treat the average American. At one point during the campaign, you said about bankers. What I'm gonna do to you is fair. I'm gonna do to you what you did to us. So you recently met with Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan, David Solomon of uh, Goldman Sachs. What did you do to them? Well, first of all, let me just say this. Uh, When you are speaking and you're among friends and you're with an organization that you have great relationships with, you take the opportunity to have a little fun, to um, perhaps describe to them in ways maybe you wouldn't describe to other people, how are you going to do things, and you get them basically involved in understanding uh, what you care about and what you have learned from your time in office, and you make these kind of quips. So, so people shouldn't take that literally. Not literally, yes, absolutely. I have an open door. I welcome everybody, from bankers uh, to activists, nonprofits, the veterans, people involved in the health industry. Even if you know you disagree uh, with a particular industry, you let them in, and you let them talk to you. Are there particular issues where you think there's a very good chance that you'll be able to work with those financial institutions? Well, I think the work that I have done already as a ranking member of the Financial Services Committee demonstrates that I'm a strong legislator and I know how to work with the opposite side of the aisle. I know when to work with the opposite side of the aisle. Are there issues where you think you can work with the Trump administration? I saw recently that they say they want to do GSE reform, for example. That's something that you've said that you're interested in. You have to pay attention to the way that the president himself has defined himself. He has defined himself as someone that you can't trust, Mm -hmm. uh, that does not tell the truth, and that will change his mind and tweet something one day and the opposite the next day. So it's up to the administration uh, to determine that they need to develop the kind of credibility and trust that they can work with other people. Mm -hmm. I talked the other day to your old friend, Barney Frank, who used to have this job, and he said, let's face it, there's not gonna be much legislating in this Congress. It's mostly gonna be about messaging. But you also have soft power. You've got the ability to use your position to make points to regulators, to make points to industry. What do you think you can get done there? Well, here's what you can do effectively. You can lead your committee and define what we care about as Democrats, what I care about. We can deal with our issues. And even if they got all the way to the president's desk and he would not sign them, we're ready for 2020. So you're preparing arguments for your party for 2020? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I'm not depending on the president to sign legislation that may pass the House and the Senate and get to his desk. If that happens, that's fine. But we will have said to the public, this is what we care about. This is what we are working on. And this is what we will do when we have all of the power that we need uh, to get it done. You've got hearings to hold That's right. uh, that you can make points on. That's right. The first one is with the credit industry. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Can they expect to get a tongue lashing from you? Well, if you watch what I have done and all of the hearings that I have provided leadership for the Democratic Caucus in the Financial Services Committee, you will see that I've conducted myself in a way that would solicit information and have responses in a very normal way. But there have been times when I've been challenged and I have to challenge those who are in the witness chair or I have to demand that they respect my time. And I'm kind of known for that in the way that I dealt Reclaim with Mr. My time. Reclaiming my time, yes. Uh, I appreciate everything that Thank you've you done very much. for the community I there. I don't want to take my time. I, I've, I also have I appreciated the opportunity to meet reclaiming with you my time. several times reclaiming my when time. we were doing our, our reclaiming my time. The time belongs to the gentlelady from California. Do you think you can get them to change their behavior merely by having a hearing, even if you can't legislate? I do think it may back some people down. It may cause some people to rethink. And we'll see, uh, because we will have credible witnesses that have never had the opportunity uh, to share their advice and their opinions and their experience. One thing people on Wall Street talk about is headline risk. That is, negative publicity can damage them. If you have hearings on a financial institution and have something negative to go after them on, could affect, for example, their stock price. Do you care about that? I think none of us should be irresponsible in the way that we deal with financial services issues. And I do know uh, that the president does not understand this. He doesn't know the relationship of his remarks to the stock market. But I also know that when you have a financial institution that comes before you and they have been involved in activity that they've received a lot of fines for, that they continue in the activity, uh, activities such as one bank uh, that continue to create accounts uh, in, the bank, in their clients' names. You're talking about Wells Fargo now. I, I really am. It is legitimate for you to ask those questions, even if it's embarrassing. We're talking about trying to get the truth about what is going on in institutions where people have obviously been harmed, and what are you going to do about it? Now, I've seen a, a comment or a statement from you that suggested that you might want to actually put Wells Fargo out of business. Is that true? No, it's not true. Okay. Uh, you know, anybody that understands the importance of uh, the banking community uh, to the economics of uh, our country would know that you don't just wish to put somebody out of business. It's about asking the questions about your ability to understand your own bank. It is about trying to understand why problems continue to exist and what can be done about that. Do you fundamentally believe that the American banking system and financial markets are forces for good in making the American economic engine run? I believe in our economy, we have to have banks. That's very central to the economy and the way it works. But I do believe that their interest is in making money. 
And I believe that as a business, making money is okay as long as you are not doing what we consider ripoffs. Mm -hmm. We want banks uh, to operate in such a way that they don't undermine uh, the mission of providing credible services uh, to the average citizens. What about the idea that the only obligation of a corporation is to make money for its shareholders and that that's what makes capitalism run? Well, if a bank or any business feel that it's okay to do anything to make money, there's something wrong with that philosophy. Undermining, taking advantage of, overcharging, targeting, being unfair is not okay for any business, and certainly it's not okay for the banks. Barney Frank, your, your predecessor, told me that he thought that Jeb Henserling was not an effective chairman because he was so ideological. He was so far right, even for some in his own party. Are you just the opposite? Are you as ideological as Jeb Henserling on the left? I don't think so. Look at what I've done on the Export-Import Bank. I was one of their biggest advocates, and I worked very hard with some that others would not expect me to work with. I held my meetings at the Chamber of Commerce office in Torrance, California. And so uh, this business about whether or not I can work with others, whether or not I can get along, I've proven myself. The reason I ask the question is you've been very critical, for example, of Ben Carson, the housing secretary, yes. and said that he believes that if people are poor, that's yes. their fault. That's right. One of your Republican colleagues told me that you're the opposite, that you think if people don't do well, that's the system's fault, and that your principal interest is not generating growth, but redistributing money from people who have a lot of money to people who don't. Well, I don't know who said that, but it's simply not true. What role in your philosophy does redistribution of income take? I, I'm not uh, defined in that way that I believe in redistribution because that implies that you want to take from uh, the rich and give to the poor. I'm defined about fairness. I'm defined of, you know, in a way that would create equal opportunity, uh, not only fairness, but your government having a role in seeing to it uh, that all of the departments and agencies are operating on behalf of all the people and that the least of these or just the average Joe Blow working every day is not taken advantage of. Your new colleague, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, yes. mm -hmm. who's going to be on your committee, yes. she's talked about a 70% top marginal rate. They were There's a question about that at the Davos conference the other day and everyone in the room laughed like that was a ridiculous idea. Do you think it's a ridiculous idea? I heard what uh, they did at Davos uh, when this was talked about. I believe in fair taxation. I believe uh, that people who make uh, lots of money should be taxed fairly and they should not be relieved of that responsibility because they have the money, the resources, and the wherewithal uh, to get around the law, uh, to basically take advantage of the law. I just want fair taxation. Well, do you I think don't a want, system could yeah. be fair with a 70% top marginal rate? Well, I know that that would be very different in the way that it is looked at now. But don't forget, uh, we have heard stories about secretaries paying more than their rich bosses. That's not right. Based on the so-called tax reform that this president did, I know this. I know that 
the top 1% or so was advantaged. And I know that uh, major corporations and businesses really did reap a lot of benefits from that tax reform. You know what I'm worried about? I'm worried about uh, that Joe Blow that goes to work every day. And he's making, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars for their family, and maybe they get behind, and maybe they owe, you know, ten or fifteen thousand dollars that they need to work out payments uh, with the IRS, and they're pounded. And people like Mr. Trump, who won't show his tax returns, is able to manipulate the IRS so he's never really called to task. And he's able to take those laws and make sure that he works them in such a way that they're to his advantage. What is your objective in the joint investigation that you plan with Congressman Schiff of Deutsche Bank? We know that Deutsche Bank is one of the biggest money laundering banks in the country, uh, in the world perhaps. And we know that this is the only bank that will lend money uh, to the President of the United States. He won't show his tax returns and uh, we have a certain information that leads us to believe uh, that uh, there may have been some money laundering activity that might have been connected uh, with Mr. Manafort, uh, with some people in his family. Do you believe that money laundering has been a significant part of President Trump's business? I know that there are a lot of rumors. We need to learn more about uh, the finances of the President of the United States, and he's hiding that information from us. We need to delve deeper into that and find out what is going on and whether or not money laundering has been involved. and whether or not there are connections with the oligarchs of Russia. Do you believe, based on what you know now, that the president is corrupt? I believe that this is a problematic president who has proven uh, that he has uh, taken advantage of others, that the Attorney General of New York made him uh, reimburse at least $25 million. We know that he has had bankruptcies. We know that there are lots of stories. He hasn't paid contractors. He hasn't paid subcontractors. We know a lot about the history of this president, and it doesn't look good. Do you think that the fact that You've taken some criticism about conflicts of interest. You were on a watchdog group's list of most corrupt members of Congress. Does that undercut your ability no, it doesn't. to uh, pursue these no, issues? No, absolutely not. First of all, all of the questions were answered. I was totally exonerated and found not to have done anything wrong. It was simply a nonprofit operation that decided that it was going to take on the responsibility of choosing members that they didn't necessarily like, but whatever they tried to do to me didn't work because it was proven that I had done nothing wrong. You were one of the earliest members of Congress to call for the impeachment of yes. the president. Do you think, is it plain to you right now that that's where this is headed? That, Absolutely. So do you yes. believe the House will vote to impeach the president uh, even if it is clear that Republicans will not join with that effort in the Senate? No, I don't know that. Mm -hmm. I don't know uh, that an impeachment resolution will ever be taken up. Mm -hmm. I hope so. Mm -hmm. I believe it should be, but I don't You're know not predicting that. that. No, I'm not predicting that. I don't know that that will happen. You're right. Democrats have been very cautious. Uh, everybody's waiting on uh, our special counsel, Mr. Mueller, uh, to give them permission uh, to go for it. 
I'm not waiting permission to say what I really feel and what I understand about this president and how he has defined himself right before our very eyes. After talking in her office, Waters took me one floor down to the Financial Services Committee hearing room, lined with paintings of all the men who came before her as chair. She talked about prodding Wall Street firms to make their ranks more diverse, as Democrats have demonstrated with their sprawling field of presidential candidates. When you were born, there, were, there was one African-American in Congress. There were mm -hmm. just a couple of women. Mm -hmm. Now you're the chair of this committee. Mm -hmm. um, how does that make you feel? Well, you know, um, a lot of people talk about it as if this is so unbelievable. Mm -hmm. How could this have happened? How did you do this? Well, I mean, I was taught, uh, no matter what the circumstances were, uh, that America uh, was a place where everybody could achieve mm -hmm. and become what they want to become if they work hard, if they're dedicated to it. And I believe that. And that's what I've done. I've no. worked hard. The United States economy, it's, we're the richest in the world. Mm -hmm. We've made some significant gains. Black middle class mm -hmm. is a lot bigger than it was, mm -hmm. but we still have tremendous income inequality mm -hmm. and wealth inequality. That's right. What does that tell you about what's worked and hasn't worked about the American economy and the American financial system? Well, uh, basically, we understand that um, people of color, uh, poor people have not had a combination of resources and wherewithal uh, to really deal with a system that was not organized necessarily to improve them or their quality of life or invest in them. Mm -hmm. And so in understanding that, you basically understand uh, that this wealth gap uh, was created and that unless we pay attention, unless we work at it and understand how it happened, we wouldn't be able to change it. But some of us believe. Some of us believe that we're smart enough, that we work hard, and that we can achieve. And no matter what the system does, we're going to keep trying and we're going to keep inspiring and motivating young people uh, to make this democracy what it should be. Now, you've established, as I understand it, a diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. subcommittee That's on right. this committee. That's right. What do you hope to achieve with that? Well, I hope that we can gather the information, uh, do the research, and help people to understand how big the gap is mm -hmm. and what can be done in order to close that gap. And I think looking in the financial services community, we can put together the kind of information that will help people to understand uh, that women and minorities don't really play in this arena and that we have to do more to close that gap. And you're talking about executive hiring? No, I'm talking about diversity in every aspect of our society, mm -hmm. number one, but certainly in the financial services. It is, for example, if you go to college and you're studying economics, or you get involved, in a job that brings you to a point where you should be seriously considered for management or other high-level jobs, it should be done in a fair way. Your application should not go in the wastebasket because of your color. Do you think that financial services companies should be required to have more diverse boards than they have now? Is that something that you would pursue? What we are doing now is we are encouraging the CEOs to understand that diversity is a positive thing. Mm -hmm. And for all the studies that have been done, it shows to the degree that a business or a company is diverse that it does better. So you're about encouraging, not requiring. 
I'm not about trying to change any laws necessarily, but I'm about using whatever leverage and whatever power I have to help make it happen. You have the most diverse president, 2020 presidential field in the Democratic Party's history. What do you think about that? And who do you like? Well, I'm not surprised. Mm -hmm. As we emerge and we become more advanced in understanding our possibility and understanding our influence, that we should be competing at every level, in every business, everywhere. And that's what's beginning to happen. Do you think it's important for the Democratic <clears throat> Party to have a nominee who reflects that diversity? I think the out. Republicans should learn how to have diversity in the Republican Party. I think the Republicans should understand that they are trailing way behind in getting to the point where they have an appreciation for other races and other cultures. You haven't picked oh, a no, candidate? Oh, no, it's too early. Uh, as a matter of fact, I wouldn't tell you now if I had <laughs> okay? Well, that's it for this episode of Speakeasy. Thanks for listening. Subscribe today on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And send us your feedback. We want to hear from you. Speakeasy is produced by Mary Catherine Wellens and Pat Anastasi. Editing by Sherry Rosen and Jeff Dills. We've got more great interviews ahead in 2019. Talk soon.